the masters almost surely have a plan This clearly may be something near beyond the realm of man And until you thoroughly tested every last close trusted view I find the more you think you know, the less you really do That's true, Dr. Zayas Where would we be without THC? Side chatters, while we always try to keep a close eye on pockets of unchecked power, it seems that over the years the nefarious elite have realized that they can come out from behind the curtain, relish in the protection spell that is limited liability, and coast on the ignorance and apathy of the masses as long as they offer up a catchy jingle and the fake smile of an underpaid PR shill. Meanwhile, their true weapons of mass destruction, Merck, Monsanto, Dow Chemical, Pfizer, Nestle, ExxonMobil, Coca-Cola, and a nearly endless list of corrupt corporations, ruthlessly consume market share as we the people and the planet itself suffer in their wake. But lucky for us, today's guest Richard Belzer is not fooled, and along with his writing partner David Wayne, has just released a powerful book exposing the inner workings and dirty deeds of these very companies entitled Corporate Conspiracies, How Wall Street Took Over Washington. Richard has had a long career as a well-known stand-up comedian and actor as well, best known for his role as John Munch on the TV shows Homicide, Life on the Street, and Law and Order Special Victims Unit, but he's also one of the few celebrities out there willing to use their popularity to draw attention to the things they don't want you to know, and has authored or co-authored several previous conspiratorial books, including UFOs, JFK, and Elvis, Conspiracies You Don't Have to Be Crazy to Believe, Hit List, An In-Depth Investigation into the Mysterious Deaths of Witnesses of the JFK Assassination, and Someone is Hiding Something, What Happened to Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. Finally, a guest who can actually say not only is he a conspiracy enthusiast, but he plays one on TV. And I'm psyched mm-hmm. to have him here. The Bells himself, Richard, my man, welcome to the higher side. Um, thrilled to be here. Thank you. Yeah, man. It is a real treat. Thanks for being here. I know you've had a long career working with some of the greats, and I really enjoyed this book, too. It's awesome that while you could just coast on that sweet, sweet network money, you still write about these subjects quite often. And (laughs) you don't need to get into these thorny subjects and sketchy conspiracy podcasts like mine. So I find it all that more respectable that you do. Maybe start us off there. Talk to us about that decision. Why do you find yourself compelled to draw attention to these things when you really don't have to? Yeah, well, I've always been thrown out of every school I ever went to and, (laughs) you know, for uncontrollable wit. (laughs) <laughs> and I always questioned authority as a little kid. I would listen to the, what the adults were saying and kind of at the risk of being a modest, I was very curious and very smart and adults would say things in front of me that they wouldn't say in front of another child. Hmm. It's, it was interesting. At any rate, I've always been, you know, I was a newspaper reporter for a while. In fact, if I wasn't an actor and a comedian, I would be a journalist. So, you know, this is not far from my, you know, interest, the question of authority. And the fact that I'm a celebrity now is really, I, you know, I'm in France now. I'm kind of, I, I don't work that much. And I could just lay back here with my five dogs and my beautiful wife. But now I have the leisure of studying and interviewing and really going into depth. And so I feel 
compelled to write this stuff, you know, as a because of the journalistic part of me and my blood and to capitalize on my celebrity and not sit back and, you know, although I could very easily Hmm. and I do your turn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cheers to that. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I'm curious, do you ever find people dismissing your serious book work because you are an actor and, you know, you're not supposed to know anything about anything, really? Yeah. Somebody, the other night I was being interviewed and a caller was saying, you know, you actors, uh, you don't have time to really study the issues. And I said, lady, you don't know me. I'm in my trailer five, six hours a day reading on the phone, on the Internet, you know, so. To summarily dismiss a celebrity because they're compassionate. You know, look what uh, celebrities have done in terms of the civil rights movement and the, you know, healthcare movements and education, the arts. Thank God that artists are compelled to be citizens. You know, your occupation doesn't exclude you from being a participant in our democracy. Yes, agreed. I think it was John Malkovich had a great line, I act for free. They pay me to wait around all day because you do so much waiting. But everybody has to have a job. So to think that like you can't have a job and also research conspiracies is pretty crazy. So this book about corporate conspiracies, of course, it is dedicated to Robin Williams, who you also wrote about in it. But some people might be surprised to hear that you considered his death a murder as another victim of corporate greed. Can you elaborate on that for us? Well, we did a lot of research on pharmaceuticals for this book, and we included very detailed charts showing what prescription drugs can do. Now, Robin apparently was given four different powerful prescriptions in his final months. Mertzapine, Remeron, Seroquel, Meripax, Cinemat. I mean, the so-called side effects of these drugs include strong suicidal ideation, thoughts of self-harm, depression, psychotic-like behavior, and unusually strong unhealthy urges. Now, one thing is, you know, Robin was clean and sober at the time of his death, but the news reports that no drugs were found in his body were misleading. Psychiatric drugs were found in his body. Mm. And in our opinion, and the opinion of many, many others, that was the real cause of his death, what drove him to it. And you won't hear about this on the news, but Big Pharma is mainstream media's biggest advertising customer. Right. And and put that together with 23,000 suicides are attributed to psychiatric drugs every year in America. Hmm. And so, you know, they're advertising the shit out of this stuff. And, you know, they're not really following up too much on the ramifications of it because tremendous amount of money that's involved. Right. The prescription drug problem is seriously out of control. These big pharma reps, they bribe the doctors and offer them big commissions for writing prescriptions they don't really know a lot about. And then we're also one of the only countries where you can advertise these drugs to the people directly on TV. So they hit us on both sides. People go in asking for this stuff and doctors are set up to supply it. It is a pretty messed up system. Yeah. And one of the tragedies of the system is that we don't want to demonize these drugs for people that really need them. Do you know what I mean? I think that's right. lost in the conversation. I mean, I personally, and I know a lot of people, you know, that after surgery or cancer or whatever, some of these drugs are, are prescribed for a reason. It's the abuse of them that, you know, should be 
curtailed. And I, I think there is a correlation between who is governing the country, what is at the head of the country, what is the mood of the country, and the amount of drug use and spousal abuse and domestic violence. And I dare say that the barometer has gone up in the last few months. Hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I'm getting at? Absolutely. The president, even if they are just a, a puppet, they at least set a tone right. for the country right. and their personality plays into the way people act. Exactly. You know, when John Kennedy was president, everybody wanted to be in government. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, then along comes somebody like Nixon and Johnson and Nixon and disillusions everybody again. But no, you're right. It's uh, I forget who said it today. Joe Scarborough maybe was. You know, the fish rots from the head down. Yes. It's fascinating to me that there are so many corporate interests that control what we're supposed to think about and do and what we ingest. But people are becoming more and more aware. So that's an, that's another heartening thing. Right. And it, it is sad, though, that it seems like every election we're given choices between two people, you know, quote unquote choices between people who on these issues that are in your book that we really care about, there's very little wiggle room. They seem to be pretty aligned on most of those things. Yeah, that that is true. And, you know, in Europe, in France, for instance, you know, eight, 10, 12 people run, not just two. Right. And then they, you know, have primaries and they eliminate and people may vote for somebody extreme as a protest vote. But when it comes to the main vote, they vote more mainstream. So I think it's healthier. It's a sickness to have just, you know, two parties, mm -hmm. the Democrats, you know, the Republicans or whatever you want to call them. Right. They all are all owned to a degree, but I think it's a matter of degree. That's true. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And so to, back, to get back to the big pharma thing and Robin Williams situation, you also write about Rob Schneider and that he was pretty vocal about this prescription drug problem and Robin Williams' death. And he got a pretty serious PR pummeling for it, didn't he? You have to be careful because, you know, some people, again, because it's a celebrity speaking out. But it's interesting why people would react that way for someone who was, you know, devastated by his friend's death and has an opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. As you put it in the book, the media helped do a lot of damage control around Robin's death. And we see Good Morning America defending these pharmaceutical companies and blasting Rob Schneider, which airs on ABC, which is owned by Disney, which is one of the largest recipients of Big Pharma's money. So it gets to be pretty clear when you put it in those terms. Yeah. And, you know, when you watch the news, sometimes you see McDonnell Douglas advertising on there. Like, who's that for? Are you and I going to buy a jet plane? <laughs> it's like they're just showing us who owns who owns the news. Absolutely. <laughs> and Rob Schneider, as well as Jenny McCarthy, have both been pretty vocal on the vaccine issue, too. And if these drugs have a laundry list of side effects and dangers, why wouldn't we think vaccines made by the same companies you know, why would we think that somehow they're completely perfect and immune to these same issues? But, you know, what do comedians and Playboy bunnies know about anything, right? Yeah, well, you know, Robin F. Kennedy Jr. wrote an entire book on the subject. And as you know, he's not a bunny. <laughs> and, you know, he's concluded, as many others have, that it's because of the dangerous preservatives 
that the big drug companies put in the vaccines to maximize their profit by increasing vaccine shelf life. Mm-hmm. Just like with all these drug issues, Big Pharma uses its media machine, its financial clout, and the influence that it buys in Washington to keep the system from changing and to keep maximizing profit because they clearly care more about money than they care about people, to go plain and, you know, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And the vaccine issue really worries me because if you read between the lines and dig into the suppressed data on them, the case gets pretty clear, but people just aren't open to it. Meanwhile, how many people calling the anti-vax community paranoid and delusional actually know what the fuck the Marisol even is? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, people have a mindset and it's cognitive dissonance to tell them that something they may have trusted for years is untrustworthy. It's very hard to break through that. You think that reason would win out, but there's a big emotional investment in a lot of these things. And, you know, it's not just presenting people with the facts, apparently. It's very distressing because of that emotional element. It is. And we also have a bit of a trend of big pharma making up new terms for diseases and conditions. Some would say ADD is an example of that, but it is a fairly common practice, right? I mean, make a problem and then sell the solution. Well, because of social media, I think everyone now is diagnosing themselves and looking things up and really confusing not only themselves, but also I think the ethical challenge of a medical community when somebody comes to them and says, you know, I saw this drug, can I get it? And it's a whole whole other issue than in the old days when you went to the doctor and you trusted the doctor and you paid $5 a visit and he's, I'm aging myself. But, <laughs> you know, it was it's a different time now. You don't know what the doctor, unless you know the doctor well, you don't know what he's selling and what he's prescribing that is, you know, actually necessary or just vaguely in the ballpark of what you might need. Right. And people get this false sense of security that, well, these aren't really drugs because they're regulated and, you know, they're produced legally and they're far safer than these completely unregulated and dirty street drugs that are out there. But that's really not the case. No, it's not. And, you know, people will convince themselves or delude themselves, however you want to say to justify what they're doing, but at the same time would turn around and condemn others for doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if we're talking about health issues from corporate products, we got to give Monsanto and Dow Chemical some mentions here too, don't we? Well, you know, the biggest, most depressing thing is the enormity of these corporations in the world worldwide reach. Monsanto has the reputation now of being the world's most evil corporation. And I can tell you that's a reputation well well earned. They're responsible for everything from, say, the DDT, Agent Orange, growth hormone, saccharin, GM foods, Roundup, which is the world's best-selling and extremely toxic planet-polluting pesticide. GMO farming is linked to the dwindling bee population, the dwindling monarch butterfly population, and, you know, soil toxicity, water toxicity, toxins in the food we eat, these rates we have now in the early onset diabetes and childhood obesity. 
So, like I said, their reputation for evil is well deserved. Mm-hmm. That's my it's one one company. Yeah, it's so sad. I mean, what are really the solutions for something like that? How do we keep a company from getting that big? Should we get rid of the corporate structure entirely and make each company have an accountable owner that has to be responsible for what their company does, which would kind of keep their greed in check by making sure that they can at least keep a handle on everything their company's doing. I mean, I really don't know how to handle this stuff when they have this limited liability clause. Well, I think one thing that we can do is reduce the amount of money these corporations can give to politicians. That That's a start. Yeah. And also, you, boycotting products actually works. And I think people are more and more aware of that. I mean, it's a, it's like, you know, these companies are like countries. We're not fighting the corner grocery store. These are gigantic <laughs> corporations with lawyers and political connections. But, you know, the day after the uh, inauguration, there was millions of people in the street. So there is, uh, I'm not disheartened by American people waking up because of this last election and taking on some of these issues that they never did before because they realized that our current government is is totally a corporatocracy. Amen. And I've talked to many guests before about the EPA and the FDA and how they do provide a false sense of security because a lot of them are paid off and they're not really doing their job. But you note that in a 2010 California State Senate review, it actually revealed that of the 83,000 chemicals used in consumer products, only a fraction of them have actually been tested by the EPA, even if they were doing their job with full integrity. And I mean, what the hell? That's pretty shocking, man. Yeah, they keep defunding the EPA. And now we'll hear the, the thing that people have to pay attention to and will is, you know, we talk about the revolving door between banks and Washington. It's because there's an obvious conflict of interest when a company like Monsanto, the head of Monsanto, becomes the secretary of agriculture. That's a conflict of interest. When somebody from Goldman Sachs or Citigroup becomes the secretary of the treasury, you know, it's like it's so obvious. It's like they're throwing it right in their faces. And make no mistake, the loser is the American people and the winner is Wall Street and the 1%, or in some cases, less than 1%. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren noted that three of the last four Treasury secretaries under Democratic presidents, starting with Robert Rubin, have been affiliated with Citigroup either before or after their service. Hmm. And that's got to stop. And this whole thing about too big to fail, that's got to stop. Amen. And you mentioned the revolving door in Monsanto, and that is such a great clear-cut example. I had it written down here from your book. This guy's name is Michael Taylor. He was an attorney for Monsanto, then joined the FDA as Deputy Commissioner of Foods, then went back to Monsanto as VP of Public Policy, then went back to the FDA as Deputy Commissioner for Policy, rigging the game for Monsanto all along the way. And that's pretty insane. I mean, shouldn't the FDA Commissioner of Foods be like a leading nutritionist or something, not just a freaking lawyer? Yeah, I think wasn't the guy, the last head of the FDA was a, you know, was a physicist or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was like, it was a guy with some brains. No, you're right. It's just disgustingly and obviously everything's a political appointee to, to meet the needs of 
the corporations. This all started with Reagan when he would appoint the heads of different departments to disassemble those departments, like education and agriculture. And and so this has been going on for a long time. And Bush was, you know, a dream to corporations. Imagine how much they love Trump. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's just like this, you know, 12-year-old albino gorilla bouncing off trees and eating whatever he can grab. (laughs) Yeah, man. And there also is a real parallel between, say, the disinfo we experienced around cigarettes a few decades ago and what we're dealing with now when it comes to something like sugar and soda, isn't there? Yeah. Good comparison. I mean, the tobacco industry spent millions and millions of dollars with these fake studies over years and years. I remember when I was a kid, you know, my doctor recommends camel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there would be pictures of doctors smoking. So, yeah, that's a good model for these other industries. And I think, you know, that would lend itself to big oil, too, to convince them to at least start to switch over to green because they can make just as much money with solar panels and thermal energy from the earth and wind farms and there's all kind and you know better batteries and you know it's ridiculous that they're so drunk on oil and it's such a you know everywhere there's oil there's human suffering and i think this next generation coming up you know i was kind of losing all hope for a while there but it looks like a lot of people are energized it never would have been before this election Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a little bit of hope in there. And the oil companies that a lot of the modern pharmaceutical chemicals are derived from the products of these oil companies too, Rockefeller medicine. And so you, you know, you look at these particular early industrialists and they are responsible for a hell of a lot, especially you have some documentaries you mentioned in the book that I have seen and interviewed people from before that go over the history of transportation and energy and the manipulation and the suppression of alternatives that have been there for a long time that people don't even realize. They think that we're just now on the cutting edge of coming up with some of these electric vehicles and other technologies, but that's really not the case. I mean, the history shows that they have been there and they have been quarantined away from the public knowledge. Yeah. You know that documentary, Who Killed the Electric Car? Yeah. Yeah. There have been electric cars for a long time that, you know, work fine. But then GM or Ford will buy the patent and bury it. Yep. Rather than be, you know, cutting edge. And that's what mystifies me. They could make just as much money by adapting to not choking the planet to death. Right. And it is such a shame that just these handful of people, maybe 100, 200 people, have taken us down a course of serious destruction and set us back centuries and you know, so many people are just oblivious. They don't understand that, yeah, we really do have a pyramid hierarchy. And there are a couple of people at the top that have influenced your life to incredibly detailed degrees. And nothing gets done. Well, people don't want to hear that. They don't want to believe that. I have, I'm sure you have too. You've spoken to highly intelligent people. And you tell them something that's factually true. And they go, no, that's not true. Yep. And you go, yeah, it's true. And it's like part of the reason I write books is I'm tired of people rolling their eyes at me at dinner parties. (laughs) I'm kidding. 
But, you know, it's like there are so many things that are true that aren't generally known. And that's what, I, you know, that's what I'm into is finding those things out and just revealing them. I'm not, you know, you could your own conclusions, but facts are facts. And this history of the corporatization of America is, is spelled out for us all to see now very easily, you know. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And you mentioned that you split your time between the United States and France, and these companies we're talking about are international in scope, but do you see these corporations in the food and medical areas having as big a field day in Europe as they do in America? Well, some countries are much more careful and restrictive. For instance, in the area, I live in a farming area, a small village in the southwest of France, and no GMO here. All organic farmers, no pesticides. There are pesticides, but they're they're natural, and there's no hormones. I mean, so I'm very spoiled here, and there's no reason why it can't be that way everywhere. You know, the people in America don't realize how much garbage they eat every day, literally, and that's why I'm again this trend of buy local is you know catching on in a lot of places and people are slowly coming around yeah i mean there there is a little hope in that especially here i am in southern california and i experienced it a lot but i grew up in missouri where it isn't quite as prevalent and the idea of food deserts i mean those are quite real and that a lot of people in their smaller towns in the midwest their only choices are the five fast food restaurants in town the pizza hut or going to walmart for their processed foods, which a lot of times are shit quality too. So a lot of times people are kind of up the creek without a paddle. Mm -hmm. And that's something that people do not want to hear because it's, they feel it's just, oh, it's too much. But if they put a, you know, a really good, like they're doing this, like Whole Foods or somebody is purposely going into these neighborhoods where they just have the corner shitty little grocery store. And so, you know, there's some corporate responsibility in this also. There's no reason why these more healthful outlets can't spread out more. And it's good PR also. Right. Speaking of PR, we mentioned the, the media's work in doing PR for Big Pharma. And you also talk about movies like American Sniper and Zero Dark Thirty in the book as pretty transparent examples of propaganda designed to glorify the military-industrial complex and the war machine. But how deep does this Hollywood arm of manipulation go? Are there less obvious examples that you might have picked up on in your career? Um, I don't want to get too many people in trouble, but it's true <laughs> that there are people in high levels of our government. I'm not making this up. This is in the public domain. From the CIA, from the government, from the Pentagon, who certain filmmakers will get if they want an aircraft carrier or jet planes or, you know, they're doing a war movie or a sci-fi movie or any kind of movie that, you know, has those elements in it, then they have script approval. You know, if I'm going to give you a battle fleet and, you know, 20 jets, what are you writing about? So keep that in mind, you know, listeners, when you go see one of these movies and there's all this hardware there, a lot of that is not CGI. A lot of that is real. And 
So that means there's script approval. So my dog's agreeing with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you too. In these movies, the military is always going to be painted in a positive light because you're just not going to be able to use their equipment without it. And we also know the CIA has placed or at least trained certain people that they put in these positions in news media. They push a narrative that's cooked up in the deep state. And that's another area where I just wonder how far that influence spreads over other areas of Hollywood and other aspects of broadcasting besides just these major news networks that everybody seems to be waking up to at least. Well, in 1970, I think it was 74, roughly, Carl Bernstein wrote a piece for Rolling Stone magazine in which he said there is, I think he listed a number like 320 uh, publications that were getting information from the CIA directly. And when that came out, shortly thereafter, there was an outraged piece in the New York Times admitting that they did it and saying that, oh, no, the number's much higher. So, you know, in their own defense, they inadvertently admitted that, you know, everybody, CBS, Newsweek, NBC, ABC, all these companies were getting information directly from the CIA, talking points, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the CIA's nickname is the company because it protects the corporate interests of the United States. So if the CIA is giving talking points to network news, those talking points could very well come from a major corporation. Right. Man, and, you know, that article you mentioned is written in 74. Do you think we ever have had a free press or has this been a propaganda machine from the beginning? No, I, I, it's, you know, there are still people that are, you know, writing the truth as they find it, but they're not in, you know, they're not, you don't see blaring headlines leading off the news every night. But, you know, there are really good reporters out there who don't have millions and millions of viewers, but there are people doing the work. And even though that, like, if somebody works for a network, for some reason, certain people even though that network is beholden to some dark forces, they allow certain people to say whatever they want because they're not afraid of the repercussions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, right. like Lawrence O'Donnell is great. He's a great reporter every night. You know, he tells the truth as he sees it. And I like Rachel Maddow 80, 80, 90% of the time. She's fantastic. And the nation magazine is pretty reliable and Vox, and, you know, they, if you fish around, you can find things in the public domain. You know, before the Internet, I used to read like 10 newspapers a day. And now, fortunately, I can read, you know, or at least reference 100 newspapers. Right. And there are definitely good people in journalism, as long as they don't go too far down the rabbit hole. But you don't really need to control every individual person. If you have an editor at each paper or a producer at each network, and you just have a list of, well, we don't talk about these 10 things. And other than that, go at it. Yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty close to reality. Mm. There are certain things that 
they could talk about, but we'd be discouraged from talking about. And there are certain things that you just know not to address. The thing that I, I worry about, especially with this president, is self-censorship. In other words, thinking in your mind that you shouldn't say something, that's almost as bad as state censorship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, and I think Trump is trying to instill this kind of dictator bully mentality over everybody that works for him. And, you know, like you could be fired in any second. Right. Comey knows that all too well at this point. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the United States is not a fucking reality show. This is serious shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every day, I, I can't, no one can remember getting up every single day and going, wait a minute, he's the president? What's he going to do today? It's every day he's changing or every hour. I don't think people were, nervous systems are meant, I don't know how long this can last. <laughs> it's like, these, these guys giving the world a nervous breakdown. Right. And I was definitely shocked, even though so much shocking things have happened. I was really surprised to see Comey actually get fired. It seemed like pretty transparent what was going on there. But then, you know, you go to the other side and Bill Clinton, he fired the FBI director just before they found Vince Foster's body, which was a big uh, conspiracy. Yeah, that's. Yeah. But I don't think they're comparable. I think there's certainly the Vince Foster death. I mean, I've written about it, so is incredibly suspicious. But I can't. Clinton's fingerprints on it, although I wouldn't be shocked. I have no. Whereas in this situation, he's admitting stuff to Lester Holt. So it's a different. You know what I mean? He he had his whole administration go out and lie and then he goes on the next day and refutes everything they're saying it's like no one's ever seen anything like this right i mean it is definitely more obvious and in your face but as you know with a lot of these conspiracies sometimes we don't get that smoking gun and we have to do a little speculation i don't think it's you know too far to say that vince foster situation was quite sketchy as well oh yeah very suspicious incredibly suspicious so you know, I mentioned American Sniper and Zero Dark Thirty, some movies that are made as examples of propaganda that you talk about in the book. Yeah, Top Gun. Oh, of course. And yeah. as an actor yourself, I'm curious, do you think that actors have any responsibility for this and the parts that they take and play? Uh, I think actors who feel they have a responsibility to themselves as artists and to their fans and, you know, will turn stuff down. I mean, I know that for a fact. So if you see somebody, an actor in a jingoistic movie that's really repellent, nobody put a gun to their head to do it. You know, they did it, period. Right. So some movies have an agenda and some are just, you know, garbage. Sometimes distraction is all that you need. Yeah, and I'm all for that if it's entertaining and not malevolent at the core. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is kind of a, a slippery slope to say they des- they should take too much responsibility because you can always just find somebody else. I mean, I mentioned I'm from Missouri and I have three friends who work at Monsanto and we just don't talk about it. But I mean, really, where else is a biochemistry major in Missouri going to work? You know, people have to pay their rent, but it does kind of bum me out. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I have a friend who 
was approached when he was in college by the Pentagon, CIA, ONI, or this Office of Naval Intelligence, because he was so smart. And he, you know, he had kind of modified holograms and was, you know, was into this really brilliant stuff. And they just wanted to appropriate him for military purposes. Wow. And he turned them all down. And they offered him, like, you know, his own lab and tons of money and scholarships for his kids and, you know, all this stuff. And he, he didn't do it. So, and, you know, he never had, a, there were no, like, he wasn't, he didn't get cancer after that or run over by a car. So that's, <laughs> that's a plus. Right. <laughs> One of the lucky ones. Yeah, right. It is rare to have someone with such a successful acting career here. Have you ever faced situations where in your career as an actor that's conflicted with your conspiratorial opinions or your the books that you're writing or the personal beliefs you have in these areas? Have I ever faced a situation that was against my principles? Is that what you're saying? Asking? Yeah, where, where your acting career and your conspiracy interests were kind of conflicted. Yeah. Fortunately, on Homicide and law and order, and this happened very rarely, if there was something in the script that I didn't agree with or that I knew not to be true, you know, we would change it or at least, you know, meet me halfway. So, no, I'm fortunate I was really never in that position. I've been censored. I was supposed to do this big, this is years ago, appear at some symposium for this radio station and it turned out the owner of the radio station was, how shall I say this delicately, an anti-Semite. And he said, no, we don't want that New York comedian uh, to do this. New York comedian is a euphemism for Jew, hmm. Jew comedian, Jewish comedian. And there was a couple other times where I was censored, but never, never, nothing egregious, just, mm -hmm. you know, kind of embarrassed people that didn't want to hear what I was wanted to say, you know, who had invited me to, to certain things. But nothing really. I once asked, I have, I know a few people in the CIA and in, in the Secret Service, and I asked this ex-Secret Service guy, because I was writing a book at the time about JFK and about UFOs and I said, is there anything I should worry about? He said, no, no, you, you're a comedian. They'll just, they won't kill you, you know. And what struck me was they do kill people, but they won't kill you, is what he was saying. <laughs> like, they won't kill you. Yeah, man. I, that is something I've been worried about more and more as the show grows. But I always say that I'm probably safe because it's the guests who are doing the research. And as long as they're <laughs> still around, I guess I should be fine. No, they don't, you know, we are... We can be easily marginal, although I'm, you know, I've gotten in trouble. Actually, I got, I forgot to tell you one story. Hmm. You may have known this. I was on Fox News in the morning. No, not Fox News. Um, anyway, it was a, a talk show, not the, the one that's on now, but another one. And they were interviewing me about law and order and stuff. And I said to them, say Heil to your friends in the news division. <laughs> and I got in a lot of trouble. I almost got fired. Damn. I, I believe it. I believe it. That's a touchy subject. 
and I gave the you know the salute because <laughs> I fucking hate Fox News. <laughs> and you know, I almost got fired. And I said to one of my bosses, who will go unnamed, I said, "Look, they have twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. I'm a comedian with a few minutes on a TV show. I don't think we can equate to." Yeah, you stupid. You're stupid for doing that. I mean, I keep your mouth shut and don't talk to the press. And, but they didn't fire me, so that's that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good thing, man. So I know, as an actor, you obviously move in those circles. You've had a lot of conversations with other actors. Do you think, uh, in general, most of the people in this field are aware of how influential Hollywood and mainstream media is? Or is this something that gets talked about a lot among the actors? Or do you think some of it gets more glossed over? No, I think now more than ever, people in so-called Hollywood people are much more aware of their responsibility to their to their public. And so I think that's good. I think they're, you know, they're being more careful or they're being more active or whatever. It's not like you know, those innocent times where, you know, in World War II, every major Hollywood star was raising money for the war and doing all this patriotic stuff. And nobody said, what are these Hollywood people doing? Nobody questioned it. So uh, if anything, I think celebrities have a responsibility because we are in the public eye to at least, you know, have some opinion or say, uh, you know, I don't, uh, or, I respectfully decline or, you know, whatever. Right. I, I think more people are aware of their responsibility of being a celebrity. And that's a beautiful thing. We're also in a really fortunate time where you can be an entertainer and reach a large audience without having to play ball with the media gatekeepers, without potentially having to make compromises that you might not want to make just to have a job because the floodgates on the internet are sort of open, at least for now. But you still don't know who's watching and listening and saying, I'll never work with that motherfucker again. <laughs> <laughs> True. His or her views. But, I, you right. know, I'm kidding. I'm half kidding. <laughs> so you also mentioned UFOs. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Bill Clinton's book where he says, just after the Apollo 11 mission, astronauts walked on the moon. An old carpenter asked me if I really believed that it happened. And I said, sure, I saw it on television. He disagreed. He said that he didn't believe it for a minute and that them television fellers could make things look real that weren't. And back then I thought he was a crank. But during my eight years in Washington, I saw some things on TV that made me wonder if he wasn't ahead of his time. And that is just such a provocative quote from an ex-president. But as someone who is more familiar with what can be done on a Hollywood soundstage, do you think that moon landing footage is real or was that a fake? My feeling, and this is purely from my years of studying all this stuff, I think we went to the moon once and we were warned off and never went back. That's why we've never gone back. Hmm. That's what I've heard, learned, read, and found out from a lot of different, from many, many different sources who are really familiar with this. And it seems like when they went up there, they saw, I mean, this is in the public domain. They saw a row of lights on the horizon that were, you know, idling a craft. And, you know, Edgar Mitchell, and who's an astronaut, you know, so there's no doubt. 
several other astronauts said, yeah, they, if you hear some of the recordings that were not censored, the code word for UFOs was Santa Claus is here, you know, like, and they had a couple of terms to use. So I buy, I, I believe that if we could, we would have gone back there. There'd be mining, there'd be medical experience. We could do so much on the moon in terms of scientific research. And it would put us ahead maybe centuries because of the nature of the atmosphere up there and the minerals that are there and what we could do there. But no, it never went back. So that to me says, as and I've heard this term, you know, we were warned off. Mm-hmm. So I tend to that. <laughs> I find that so provocative. And I've heard those very same tapes where they talk about, hey, we got a Santa Claus coming up on our right. And you're like, hey, you're supposed to be yeah. out in space on your way to the moon. There's not supposed to be a person for like tens of thousands of miles. What are you talking about? But that is super provocative. Do you think there was, a, from what you've, I mean, maybe some of your connections, you've been able to extract some details, but was there a real conversation there? What, did it get beyond just seeing some saucers in the sky? Did they actually land on the moon and have some type of uh, meeting with people in the flesh? Or how serious or what kind of details about that warning off have you heard or been able to dissect? Yeah. That's a great question. I I don't know how that was specifically communicated to us, meaning Earth, <laughs> Earthlings. But that's a great question. I don't know if you know they they got a message, or they just you know maybe it was like somebody you know walking in the jungle and then coming to a clearing, and there's like five hundred thousand men with spears pointed at you you would turn around and probably wouldn't go back (laughs) right right and i have heard uh some of those far out conspiracies that the moon itself is some kind of alien base brought into orbit long ago to monitor and that is pretty far-fetched but when you add this component you're like well it it might be a base now at least well there's two things about the moon that have yet to be explained one is the Surface gravel and rocks are older than the rocks beneath it. Think about that for a second. Hmm. Also, when the first shuttle landed on the moon, it reverberated like a bell. Yes. So that means, you know, it was hollow. And, you know, there's no reason to to disbelieve that it was not towed into into place for whatever reason as a base to affect our tides who knows and that there is certainly a case to be made for it not being a, a naturally formed object that you know it faces the same way i think it's the only celestial body in our solar system that doesn't rotate right which is kind of strange. It I'm is. sure it's a cool, but it's odd. <laughs> I, I say the same thing. Yeah, I'm not allergic to the idea that it that it's an artificial uh, thing. You know, that's not so fantastic to me. <laughs> I agree. And to maybe talk about the wider alien ET UFO situation. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going on kind of in a wider sense outside of just that moon landing situation? Have some of your contacts talked about 
to which degree they're knowledgeable about what might be going on with aliens? Well, I've heard that we are, in fact, working with EVs, extra biological entities, in the United States, in some underground bases, and that has been going on for, for a while. And there's some people that who are not crazy, who speak very, very matter-of-factly about it. There aren't many of them, but there are, you know, like retired military or scientists or whatever. And these people, I think most of those people can be found on the Internet. And what's sobering about it is they're clearly not crazy. And there's a lot, you know, the people say, well, what's the proof? The proof is thousands of pilots and generals and, you know, sober civilians for years have seen craft that are not explainable by our physics. It's not a distant idea. It's been a part of, uh, you know, at least since 1947. There's been so many cases of UFOs like uh, over L.A. during World War II and over Washington in 1952. There's squadrons of ships that were we fired upon to no avail and and people you know people go no but that's that happened so it's that thing i keep going back to about cognitive dissonance people don't want it's like you don't want to believe your parents are having sex in the next room <laughs> you know not my mother and father you know it's like maybe that's a bad analogy but it's like no it's a good one because the evidence is there that that did happen yeah right so you know there are very few things i don't want to know you know i think we can take it in actually in 1962 the brookings institute did a study was commissioned to do a study about what the effect would be on the on the people of the united states if a flying saucer or a craft from another civilization landed on the earth and they concluded that scientists science would be called into question could the military in fact protect us would cause great fear. Religion would be called into question. All these things were brought up like people are children and they couldn't handle it. I dare say that if a UFO landed today and an alien got out, in three weeks they'd have their own talk show and be folded into the culture. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. People wouldn't be shocked the way, perhaps the way they would have in 1962. I think right. people would you know, accept it. And I think people would not believe it, mm -hmm. even though, you know, they're sitting there, you know, on television on the network news saying, you know, people of the earth, we have been in existence for billions and billions <laughs> of years, you know. Yeah, man. So, all right, I'm going to get a little weird on you because I do. How much weirder can we get? <laughs> I know, I know. Who'd have thought? But, you know, I do a lot of interviews with researchers who will talk about conspiracies involving Hollywood, but they're usually looking at it from the outside. They'll talk about things like Illuminati sacrifices, this idea that you can't crack the top levels unless you're serving that agenda, or in some cases, they even talk about mind control being involved, this kind of stuff. When it comes to some of those wilder claims, have you seen anything in your career that would suggest that they have some merit, or are those things largely overblown? I have, in my experience, you know, I'm not a kid. No, I, don't, I have seen no evidence of people first, second, third, or fourth hand. And I know all kinds of people, believe me, you know, from drug dealers to superstars and everything in between. Not to brag or drop names, which I won't. <laughs> but uh, no, I think, you know, 
there's an element of like if somebody becomes a, a huge star, maybe it's because they're you know it was the zeitgeist and because of their talent and they met the needs of the culture at that time and you know and they're good at what they do and like not some ceremony that they went to where they you know fucked a goat and you know said something and wore a mask and uh, you know are indebted to a satanic or Illuminati. I don't deny the existence of secret societies and I don't, you know, if you want to get into that, but I see no evidence of any of that remotely in the circles I've been in, in film and in television and in the recording industry, musicians, actors, the theater. I mean, I have not seen any anything remotely resembling that. Hmm. I wish interesting. I, yeah, I, I wish I did. It would be fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, I had to ask because you're here, but I figured you might say something along those lines. Uh, have you seen, you mentioned secret societies, any influence, of, you know, just to broaden that out, any influence from Freemasons or Skull and Bones or anything like that in Hollywood? Do they, do they put their agents in that pie? I think the Skull and Bones thing is a northeastern Boston to Washington, D.C. corridor, Yale entity. Mm -hmm. It's very far removed from Hollywood. It's more involved in high finance and uh, international banking and stuff like that. So no, Hollywood is not like the Northeast, you know, the, the Wall Street or Washington corridor. It's a different, you know, there's a, there's an old joke that says that Washington is Hollywood for ugly people, <laughs> but you know, there's some good looking people in Washington. <laughs> Fair enough. So to get back to the book a little bit, another thing I wanted to bring up that we could actually put some laws in place to stop. We talked about that revolving door a little bit with Michael Taylor and the FDA. But when it gets into regulatory agencies, government agencies, these CEO positions, all these different deputy directors and commissioners and all these kind of bullshit titles, that is probably one of the most damaging things that creates these loopholes for corporations. And it also is one of those things that would be easiest to fix with legislation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's one of the things that we have in our book is what can we do about it? And one of the things is just in this revolving door, like you gave an example of before, you know, when you have somebody that is crafting legislation to affect an industry they worked for, that should be against the law. Right. I mean, and I think that people are becoming more and more aware, especially with these town halls, you know, they're they're investigating more and more what does their congressman actually do? And they're finding out, you know, <laughs> that it's not pretty. And they're not meeting their constituents' needs always. I think that's an interesting point because a lot of people, I think, are waking up to the idea that they need to pay way more attention to local government and less to the you know, dog and pony show that is the presidential election. Because if you really want to get into what's going to affect your community that you actually can influence, because you're not going to influence anything Trump wants to do. I mean, it's going to be difficult as an individual unless you get a lot of other individuals. But you yourself... You can talk to these local representatives, you know, this lo these local officials and fix the potholes in your neighborhood or get marijuana legalized or do any of the other things that you might care about. Work on your local water supply and keeping the pharmaceuticals and fluoride out of it. 
that kind of stuff. So I think people are waking up and there is some hope in uh, going local in all kinds of areas. I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly the way to do it. And that's what evangelicals did for years. For years, evangelicals thought that they were above politics. I don't know if we were old enough to remember that. Hmm. But then they became politicized and they started taking over school boards and legislatures and sheriffs and judgeships. And before you wake up and turn around and we're in this kind of, you know, religio semi-fascist fucking country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm with you 100%. The people who have to, on the local level, start, which, you know, local level, as Tip O'Neill said, all politics is local. And, you know, if we, if people control their, their local politics and keep their congressman on his toes or her toes, then that is a way of affecting the national dialogue. It is. Well said. Before we, we run out of time, I want to see if maybe we can't offer a little inspiration to people on a personal level, because all of these problems with corporations that we've talked about, a lot of us have no other options for work, for our careers. And we go to these cog in the machine jobs, barely enough to get by while the CEO buys a house for every day of the fucking week. And we put a lot of our dreams on hold and our talents go unused and Fear of failure plays such a huge role in why people play it safe in this regard, too. And as a guy who has taken that leap many years ago and has had it pay off quite well, what would you say to advise people who might have similar dreams but also have a lot of fear around pursuing them? Well, as I said, I think I said before, the worst thing we can do is self-censorship. And it's the thing I fear most, almost as much as state censorship. But, you know, it's 2017. The world has not been out of control. I think that now is the time for anyone who has any notion of, you know, doing something for themselves should go about it a bit more fearlessly and look around to other examples of people that you admire. There's so many people I know, and I'm sure that everyone knows, who have overcome seemingly impossible odds, or at least some difficulties. And life, as Jack Kennedy said, life is life is unfair. And sometimes we have to, you know, work a little harder than the next person. But the main thing is maintaining our self-esteem and dignity. And having an uncertain future certainly doesn't help. But it's something that I think people can exercise their will I don't think everything is predestined. I think you can exercise your will over your fate. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, in my experience. Well, yeah. I mean, that's also what they say in the esoteric circles, for sure. I also agree. And I think that getting into this conspiracy stuff, yes, we would like to see some major structural changes to the system that we have. But on an individual basis, I think the value in in learning about this stuff is to get just a more accurate map of the world that we live in. And with a more accurate map, you can navigate it more appropriately for yourself. Maybe you see all the damaging things these corporations do and the way they undercut their own employees and the way pensions are going away and benefits are cut. And you say, well, fuck this. I'm not going to be able to work for AT&T for the next 30 years. I'm going to have to go do something on my own. And I think that kind of that's the value on an individual basis. Would you kind of concur with that? 
Yeah, I think that's a well put. That some people just kind of reflexively fall in line, so to speak. Right. And others, you know, have an urge to maybe stop and step out of the line and look around, you know. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people need a security that, you know, their job, their, their family, their rent, their mortgage, whatever, that when the leadership of the country is, is so uncertain, it throws everything into uncertainty. And, you know, that's, it's harder to do what we've been talking about than it, than it was 10 years ago, I think. That's sad. And, uh, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope so too. And, you know, I, you, we mentioned Trump a few times. I also wanted to throw out there, I saw a clip of you actually got to roast Donald Trump at the Friars Club almost a, a decade ago and uh, maybe even longer. Yeah, 2004. 2004. You pointed out some of these same issues, the fact that he's made a lot of his money by abusing workers and taking advantage of people and making shady deals. And I was just curious, is do you hold a bit of personal pride at this point that uh, you got that opportunity to kind of speak right to him? Yeah, well, living in New York, we know all about Trump before he went into politics. So, a lot, you know, that's who he was. He's, and he's always been. So when he became president, it was like, not him, not our Donald, not our bloviating pig Donald. He's the president. So, yeah, I, I very prideful over that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just so interesting that after everything we've been through with the back and forth from Democrats, Republicans, and just things never changing, that we would look to some billionaire real estate executive as uh, the saving grace and the, the champion of the people. It really made zero sense. Yeah, and uh, don't forget, he did not win the popular vote for one thing. Fair. Can you imagine what would happen if Hillary was president? There'd be hearings for, you know, the, for four years. It would have driven her crazy. Yeah, it seems like we were in trouble either way. Yeah, but I think that the activists and regular people that have woken up, is, it's very, very heartening to me that Americans have taken the responsibility, as Jefferson said, to be an informed citizenry and that's what's happened yeah well said that is a positive note and i love it man i i really do appreciate what you do and the way you choose to use your platform and i really enjoyed the book and i hope people pick it up is there anything else you're working on or would like to tell the people about before we wrap this thing up i have a talk show on youtube it's called richard belzer's conversations and i interviewed Robert gottfried and paul schaefer and you know, a bunch of really interesting people. So people might want to check that out. Yeah, very cool. Getting outside of the corporate stranglehold and going out on your own. I love it. Exactly. Uh, you and Bill O'Reilly. Who's that? <laughs> Never heard of him. Yeah, me either. Uh, well, man, Richard, thanks again. Keep fighting the good fight, my man. Okay, Greg, take care. Thanks again. You got it. All right, all right, good people of the internet. Big guest today in Richard Belzer, blowing the doors off some corporate conspiracies. This will be one of those shows where people I haven't talked to in many years from high school will see that I posted this on Facebook and wonder, what the hell is the Law & Order guy doing on Greg Carlwood's stupid podcast? 
<laughs> and those are fun moments for me. But I thought we covered a lot of good ground too. I loved the book and it worked out because I literally was typing corporate conspiracies into Amazon to see what books came up. And of course, Richard's was top of the list and a new release. And to add icing on that cake, his people already knew about the Higher Side Chats when I asked if we could get them on. So everything slid right into place. Big thanks to him for taking the time. I also kind of did this one for my dad, who's seen Richard a lot through the years, is a bit of a fan. And I think it's just cool for him to see this episode come to fruition, too. So shout out to Pops. Also, when I was going over some clips from Richard's career, just looking at all the crazy stuff he's been a part of, I found a clip with Hulk Hogan, apparently in the 80s or maybe early 90s, Richard had his own show and Hulk Hogan was on it, put him in a headlock and choked him out, dropped him and his head slammed against the stage in pretty dramatic fashion and the crowd gasps and it was just one of those interesting, real things didn't go expected on live TV moments that I always get a kick out of. So I did want to talk about his book, of course, but I also focused a lot of questions on the media and Hollywood, because it is sort of rare to have such a well-known actor here. I wanted to get a bit into that stuff, hear things from his side, and I was also a pretty big Robin Williams fan. The guy really was one of a kind, and we do have researchers in the conspiracy world who are saying he faked his death or was an Illuminati sacrifice. These are things that I will never know, and you can have those theories, but Richard was a friend of his, and I am more than happy to paint a target on Big Pharma for this one. I think that's fairly cut and dry. There is a serious pill problem these days. Also, like I said in the intro, Richard doesn't have to put out these books. He doesn't have to draw attention to these things, but he does, so we should respect that. Even if we might disagree on some of the finer points. Personally, the only area I'd really disagree with him on would be that he seems to be a little biased when it comes to liberals and the democrats i don't know that he holds them to the fire the same way he would republicans for a conspiracy enthusiast i just think it's better to step outside of both parties and consider them equally corrupt and unusable of course philosophically i do find more common ground with liberal leaning folks but i do try to separate that from actual career politicians news anchors and team democrat in general but that's just me and it really wasn't even the point or the focus of today's show. Obviously, people have their own way of looking at these things, and we can still come together and have a productive, solid conversation about Big Pharma, the regulatory agencies that aren't doing their jobs, the revolving door of politics and corporate players, media manipulation, and some alien talk, of course, for good measure. So I hope you liked it. I appreciate each and every one of you who listen, as always, an ad-free one-hour version goes out to the world. And if you want to hear the extended two-hour episodes, you sign up with me for the Higher Side Chats Plus for five bucks a month. In this episode, we talked about the prison industrial complex, the drug war and its role in the big conspiracy, the bank bailout and why it shouldn't just be glossed over, the prospects for a bailout round two in our future, how Bayer developed heroin, what Richard thinks about the motivations behind the JFK assassination, Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, Richard's thoughts on the Franklin scandal, blackmail, and pedophilia networks in elite circles. And from that dark place, we got words of artistic inspiration and Richard's advice to people who aren't living out their dreams due to fear, pressure, and the multitude of things that hold us back. I thought it was important to hit that before we ended it, because 
A lot of people out there are dreaming, not living. And I know the corporate stranglehold and the big conspiracy can seem so overwhelming and absolute that the situation seems unfixable, and maybe in a lot of ways it is, but you can still live a good, happy, successful life despite all that. And when it comes to the big system, we absolutely know there are differences between the corporate stranglehold on a place like France versus the United States. So don't say we can't do anything. We do have to pay attention. We got to watch where we put our money, call out bullshit, and make sure politicians know that we're just not fucking around anymore. People will say, oh, when you vote, you give your power to the system and validate their paradigm and all that. Okay, so do nothing then. And then we'll only have assholes and criminals in office with even less accountability than they have now. We have to actually watch them, and we're really not. We gotta own that a little bit. But the world's a complicated mess. These are just some parts of it. Either way, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. I'm out of here. TheHiresideChatsClothing.com for all your conspiracy t-shirt needs, and I'll see you in just a couple days with a new episode. Your move, Big Pharma pill pushers, corporate food finaglers, and alien moon base operators. Your fucking Move. Oh no, you see, the world isn't random, it's attached to puppet strings, control over everything. The nine to five is trying to steal you, now don't that job seem silly? Hello. Can you hear me? Or should I play back recordings from some spike agency? Wish we were younger and free. I'll be thankful when it's all exposed. The vast conspiracy. There's such a difference between us and the dead. It's doubling your time